Wrapped up in the trillion dollar infrastructure bill is $2.75 billion for the Digital Equity Act. This act is supposed to do three things. One, provide people with digital skills training to improve internet access, and lastly, help rural communities with their broadband needs. If this sounds kind of familiar, that's because these are all services your local libraries may already provide. And the American Library Association says the Digital, the digital Equity Act would provide critical funding to help them expand these services. This is And Another Thing. Derek Kennedy is off today. I'm Maya Schwader. Throughout the pandemic, libraries have been a lifeline for the approximately one million in people in Massachusetts who, according to the ACLU of Massachusetts, don't have broadband internet or don't have access to it. That means school, work, health appointments, banking. For these people, that all had to happen at the library. And joining us now to talk about how libraries in our region might be using this new money is Maria McCauley. She is the president-elect of the Public Library Association, a professional organization of public librarians, and she is based right here in Massachusetts. Maria, welcome to the show. So $2.75 billion, that's a lot of money. We presume a chunk of it going to New England. If you look across our region, where do you see the most need for that money? Yeah, uh, so I, I so um, thanks. So I think um, there are a few populations that we're really trying to serve with this with these funds. One is young people. Um, another is people of color who disproportionately face barriers. Uh, so, for example, about eight and ten and ten whites own a computer, compared to with just fifty eight percent of blacks and fifty seven percent of Hispanics. Um, as well as elders. There are a lot of elders um, that do not have access uh, to a technology or they do not know how to use technology. I think we can all think about an elder in our lives who had trouble accessing information, health information about the pandemic or that wanted to sign up to um, to get a vaccination, but they didn't know how to do so. So public libraries um, can tap into these funds to be able to offer not only broadband and technical resources, but also um, to help with um, skills building and to be able to help to mediate and also to mediate these interactions to really help um, uh, uh, patrons who need uh, to learn how to how to. Um, to really use these, these uh, technologies. Mm -hmm. Those are surprisingly high figures you just said. 58% of black people and 57% of Hispanic people who don't own a computer. Let me ask you this. Why is it that libraries have become hubs for all of these services? Oh, well, you know, libraries uh, have limitless possibilities of helping people to live their very best lives. And libraries are free and democratic spaces where the public have, um, they have um, the freedom to be able to explore what they want, to be able to learn the skills that they want, to be able to read and view what they want. Uh, they really are um, a democratic institutions and they're trusted and library workers are also trusted. Um, so they really are this great space um, where everybody is welcome into the public library and you don't have to buy a cup of coffee to be there either. Mm. So if we're talking about libraries providing broadband access, connecting communities that don't otherwise have that access, very quickly if you can, this money that's coming in from the Digital Equity Act, what can it do? 
Yeah, so there's so many different things that we can do. Uh, we can expand broadband. We can um, offer people tech, take out technologies. So one of the things that we learned during the pandemic is just how useful it was for people, not only for to be able to get things like um, laptops, but hotspots. And so many libraries are now um, deploying um, hotspots, um, not only directly through the library, but through community partners. So, for example, at the Cambridge Public Library, um, they, we are, we've distributed 196 hotspots through the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners with, uh, with IMLS funds through ARPA. And um, we're directly benefiting people who mm -hmm. are living in shelters and living in housing development. Maria McCauley is the president-elect of the Public Library Association. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Beyond broadband and books, libraries sometimes provide the physical technology as well that their patrons need, like laptops and, as we've heard, hotspots. In fact, the American Rescue Plan set aside more than $7 billion to distribute things like modems and routers for those who needed it. And as we heard, the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners, for example, was able to lend out a total of more than 3,000 Wi-Fi hotspots to approximately 220 public libraries around the state for patrons' use. But temporary stopgaps of pandemic funds only go so far. Joining us now to talk about the unique challenges that libraries still face, we have James Lonergan. He is the director of the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners. And we also have Jamie Ritter. He is the state librarian of Maine. Thank you so much both for joining us. James, I want to start with you. We had first the American Rescue Plan. Before that, we had the CARES Act. Libraries benefited from both of these infusions of cash. What is it about the Digital Equity Act? What is that going to do more for libraries that these previous funds didn't? Well, uh, thank you. first, thank you for uh, having me on your show tonight. I think part of it is, frankly, uh, the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan Act, those were one-time funds. And there were some limits in how those funds could be used. Um, as, as I think you heard from Maria, we, we were able to, well, it was actually both uh, with hotspots, we were able to lend those um, statewide, but that's really just through next September, September of 2022. So I do think with the Digital Equity Act, it could help to extend um, funding for for those resources. But then also, we did provide um, other electronic resources uh, uh, to folks. For example, uh, particularly when students were at home, we were able to provide electronic resources for schools, really just up the amount. As you can imagine, all of a sudden there was huge, huge demand um, for those resources. So we were able to put hundreds of thousands of dollars more into those. So I do think couple different things that the, these funds could help. One is, frankly, there are still uh, libraries and communities, rural communities in particular, where um, you know the, the, the internet connection speed is not, not wonderful. So to really upgrade the, the speeds, but then also to provide hotspots, not just at the limited uh, uh, time period, but longer term. When we, prior to rolling out our hotspots program, we actually surveyed uh, the libraries in the Commonwealth. We discovered only about half were lending hotspots. So one of the wonderful things about the American Rescue Plan Act funds is we were able to uh, 
introduce hotspots to about half the libraries in the Commonwealth, and hopefully they'll be able to, if you know, using digital equity and some mm-hmm. state funds and so forth, they'll be able to actually uh, continue offering these once these one-time funds are no longer available. I want to talk a little bit about more, a little more about those rural communities. Uh, Jamie Ritter, state librarian of Maine. I would dare venture that Maine is a, a little bit more rural than Massachusetts. In fact, uh, there's a recent story in the Bangor Daily News that said Maine ranks near the bottom of the list for access to broadband in New England. What are the challenges in regions like Maine, making sure that libraries are properly equipped for what with what patrons need? I appreciate that, and thank you very much for having me on the on on your program. Yeah, Maine is very unique. I can say though, we're we're um, blessed uh, through a program begun many many years ago by now Senator King. He was Governor King at the time. Maine libraries and schools are are really well connected. Uh, it's the main school and library network, and and the the schools and libraries well over you know uh, close to nine hundred of them have gigabit fiber connections. So the the libraries in particular in Maine are these anchor hubs that that people can come to. The challenge really is building out that network from there so that people have, you know, broadband in their in their homes and um, can access the internet in that way. I think what's so unique about, you know, the Digital Equity Act that, that you were discussing and, and talking about earlier, it's really what's on the other end of that connection. And for libraries, being these trusted re- resources in the community, there's a great opportunity now to ensure that people have access to healthcare, education, lifelong learning, building careers, and that they can really participate in society through these resources. And uh, that's where I think some of these funds can be best utilized to make sure that rural communities are not just connected, um, but uh, are accessing the, the critical resources that libraries provide on the other end of that connection. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. Jamie Ritter is the State Librarian of Maine, and James Lonergan is the Director of the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, we'll speak with the Executive Director of the Providence Public Library about the 11 p.m. English classes they provided during the pandemic, along with their other services. Stay with us. You're listening to a previous broadcast of And Another Thing. This is And Another Thing. Welcome back to the show. Derek Kennedy is off today. I'm Maya Schwader. We're talking infrastructure, libraries, and the infrastructure that libraries provide. According to WBUR, there are more than 1,500 libraries across New England, and even a small state like Rhode Island has 70 public libraries, and they had to figure out how to keep serving their patrons even when they couldn't be open. With us now is Jack Martin. He's the executive director of the Providence Public Library. Jack, great to have you. So to start, I understand that your library had to get pretty creative with the way it offered its services during the pandemic. Tell us about that. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. So I think that if Providence Public Library had a tagline, we would be uh, called the Free Open Source Learning University for the Public. So prior to the pandemic, we offered uh, courses, often 10 and 12 week long courses, everything from how to become a U.S. citizen and how to speak English to how to use an incredibly complicated platform called Tableau uh, to do data visualization work. And we offered those for uh, both adults and teenagers. And when COVID hit, 
we were totally virtual. We were driving all across uh, the state of Rhode Island, which might sound expansive, but we all know that Rhode Island is the smallest state, so it probably wasn't that big of an ordeal. But we basically delivered uh, laptops and uh, 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 Wi-Fi hotspots to all of our learners, so their so their basically their learning would not be interrupted. And we continued that, and we were actually able to expand our services uh, during COVID-19. And I understand that uh, there were some times when you had to be available. You couldn't uh, have your classes happen over the computer because there are patrons that just don't have access to a computer. Is that correct? Exactly. So we have a program called the Learning Lounge, which is basically an online portal uh, for learning how to speak English, for uh, getting help with your resume, for getting gaining job interview skills, um, all that good stuff. And uh, we quickly quickly learned during the pandemic that a lot of the families that we serve, uh, many of whom are, un- are part of underserved communities in the state, uh, they had to work during the day and then they had to take care of their kids and they had to make sure that their kids, you know, had dinner and they had to put them to bed. And so we actually had our team on WhatsApp, you know, at 11 o'clock at night helping these adult learners uh, to get a job in, in so many ways. And, you know, thankfully we were successful in a lot of those cases. Since we're talking about the new infrastructure package and the the money that libraries are eligible for, looking across your community, knowing what you have seen during the pandemic and what people need, what would you like your library to be able to provide for them? So it's really interesting. Um, The ARPA funds, um, they have so much coverage. Um, There is a lot of workforce development uh, that uh, funds that have come into Rhode Island thanks to ARPA. But in our conversations with the state library office, um, office uh, it's, it seems like um, families and adults um, who do not have any access to the internet um, or access to technology are really falling through the cracks. So that's what we're gonna be focusing on um, over the next uh, year and a half. So we're working with the state, we're gonna be helping to, uh, to basically deliver thousands of laptops to, to families in need across the state. Um, we are going to be ramping up our, uh, our really basic technology classes, everything from, you know, explaining what is the Internet to um, how to speak English um, via the Internet uh, and, you know, how to use Microsoft Office, all those really basic skills that so many folks in Rhode Island, you know, they just don't have the opportunity or the access uh, to be able to take part of. Do you see this as a way libraries can continue to I don't, I don't want to say justify their existence because, of course, you know, I'm sure many of our listeners love their local library, but to, to continue to, to pivot and make themselves relevant in an age when, you know, books are all available online and th- there isn't so much a need for that service anymore? Well, it's really interesting because I, that is unfortunately an assumption that the public has, but um, if you look at the statistics in Rhode Island, we actually purchased more ebooks than ever during COVID-19. And our statistics soared, our usage soared. So even though you can, books are available um, in, on ebook format, again, a lot of our communities, um, our disenfranchised communities, they don't have access to tablets, they don't have access to computers, they don't even have the internet. So they are still coming to the library for these, for you know, for the more traditional resources that we're talking about. But they also come to us because you know they may be a Spanish language speaker or or someone or an immigrant from a new country that had a really you know, high, high power job in their country, but when they come to the U.S., they don't actually have, their job credentials don't match the U.S. credentials, so we have to help them find a new job or help, or help 
skill them up so they're actually able to get another job. So, um, you know, this, this whole notion that, that, that libraries are no longer needed is, is, really, is really nuts. And I have to say that if, if the world knew how many people can, you know, pull up to the library mm -hmm. or sit on our steps across the country to even access an internet signal, I mean, that to me should signal that, that, that public libraries are more important than ever because we are the safety net. Jack Martin, we're going to have to leave it there. Support. Jack Martin is the executive no director of the Providence Public Library. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. As we've heard on the show, every state, county, and even every town gets to run their library a little bit differently. Providence is a relatively large city for the region, but Coleraine, Massachusetts, in Franklin County, is a town of just 1,600 residents. The Griswold Memorial Library was closed for months at the start of the pandemic in the town, and the library said the parking lot was often full of people in need of a digital connection. Joining us now is Cindy Weeks of Coleraine, who often visits the library to use the Wi-Fi. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us on And Another Thing. We've heard a lot from librarians on the show about the way people use their services. Tell us your story. What are you using the library for? Uh, we live in a situation in which we do not have access to broadband, nor do we have access to cell service which uh, also leaves us out of television. So we are in 1940s technology here. Um, and I'm a caregiver for my mom. So uh, the library has just been so important for the ability to communicate with other people, to be able to pull into the library and participate in a Zoom meeting, to have access to information, uh, to be able to research something. Um, because that is, even to look up something on my phone, To there's no such thing as a phone book anymore. You don't think about these things until you don't have access to them. And um, it's been so important just to be able to, to have access to it. We also have uh, Chelsea Jordan-Mackley. She is the director of Griswold Memorial Library on the line. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what your library was able to do during the pandemic. You're a very, very small town. How were people using your services? Sure. In our small town, we don't. most people in our town did not have broadband access at all when the pandemic hit. And here folks were trying to figure out how to work from home, how to have their kids connected and in school, how to participate in local government. So oftentimes that was just poaching up outside of the library and using our free Wi-Fi connection with whatever devices that they had. You got some grant money this past summer to do outreach in a small community. Tell us a about that. Sure. We received a grant from the American Library Association called Libraries Transform, and that was for us to go out and connect with people in the community and talk to them about civic engagement and local government and what issues they were seeing um, as impacting their life and the future. And so technology was one thing that we talked a lot about. People were so excited to get broadband, but also recognizing that besides being online, that there was a significant skills gap and that we have a long way to go in terms of building digital literacy. So that's why we're starting to offer some one-on-one -on -one technology classes here at the library and look at other ways that we can meet people with building up these skills to be successful now that they are online. 
I'm curious what the challenges are of running a library in a rural area as opposed to in a more populated area like Providence, as we heard earlier on the show. Chelsea, can you speak to that a bit? Well, some of the things that we try to think about here are, for example, are people can't go to Staples or to a um, to a Apple store for help with their technology. So we're often filling that gap. So our print services are one thing that was really important during the pandemic, and that I think a lot of people just take for take for granted in other areas. So like getting a color printer in Colerain and scanner were actually new technologies for us within the last couple of years and things that people are just starting to think about doing at the library even. Um, but they're great ways for to bring people into the library too. Cindy, I'd like to hear from you again about your relationship to the library. I think there's a lot of people who live in more populated areas who might not understand you know, the scarcity of resources. What is it that draws you to live where you live, and what is it about the library that makes it so essential where you live? This, it's such an amazingly beautiful place that we live in, and such a special community. And um, we were all drawn immediately to the home that we that we purchased, and we live here since January. Um, but I will say the technology has been a challenge. So the library has allowed us to have access to information that we would not have access to in any other way. And it keeps us connected to the community at large rather than just our little road here with with a couple people on it. Chelsea, I'm curious, are there any services that you started during the pandemic that you're hoping you might be able to continue were you to get some of this money coming from the infrastructure bill? Uh, I'm looking now at um, loaning more laptops into the community now that people will be able to use them. Initially, it was something that we thought, well, other libraries are doing that, but what could people do here? Because if they take a laptop home, there's no way for them to hook it up. So we're really excited about being able to get on board with that trend. We're still not able to take advantage of the hotspots that you were taking that you were talking about earlier on the program. Those are a ways out until we have cell towers here in Colerain. So <laughs> we have to be a little bit more creative about how we roll things out, and we can't always match trends. But I do think we can push the envelope with things like um, mm-hmm. uh, even virtual. Um, virtual learning here at the library is something that I think will be accessible to us within the next couple of years so that this can Great. be a place where Colerainers can experiment with new technologies. Ch- Griswold Memorial Library Director Chelsea Jordan-Mackley and library user Cindy Weeks, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of And Another Thing. I'm Maya Schwader. We hope you'll join us again for And Another Thing.